You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. We're talking Pirates baseball on this Friday, April 8th, with Pirates reporter Adam Barry. Adam, thanks so much for the time. And Pirates fans uh, feeling pretty good about themselves and their team right now. And there's uh, hard to find much fault with a 3-0 and start, especially when the three wins came against uh, Division foe St. Louis. And uh, was there perhaps, maybe I'm making too much out of this because of the nature of baseball and because it's a new season. But, you know, here's the Pirates they win 98 games last season, and they they look across the field, and the team that was the reason indirectly for them being in the wild card game is that team, St. Louis, because they won 100 games. The Pirates back in the wild card game, we know how that turned out. So, is there perhaps a little extra motivation in that Pirates clubhouse to say, you know what, we're not going to let that happen this year. We've got the Pirates in our house for three. Let's really take it to them. Any of that play in, or, or maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly not going to say that publicly, but they very much realize, you know, that their best chance to avoid the scenario that's played out the last two years is to be better than the Cardinals and be better than the Cubs. So, I mean, yeah, they're not going to come out and say, listen, we need to go 3-0 and to open the season because we got to beat the Cardinals this year. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of added motivation to avoid the wild card game, to, you know, win the division, to play better, first of all, against their own division uh, competition. So, yeah, I mean, it's a really encouraging way to start the season to go 3-0 and against anybody, but especially against, you know, a good team and a division rival. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the three wins were all of different nature. They they had the dominant pitching performance in uh, in the opener. They had the walk-off win in Game 2. And then, you know, a little bit of, of everything in Game 3. So they, they not only won, but showed different ways to win three straight games against a very good St. Louis team. So that was big for the Pirates there. Adam, uh, transitioning a little bit to some big off-the-field news that came during that series against the Cardinals. Uh, Gregory Polanco signed to a five-year, $35 million contract extension. Uh, Tell us what this deal accomplishes on both sides uh, for the team and for the player Polanco and why the Pirates felt that this was the right time right now to commit this sort of money to one of their young, up-and-coming stars. Yeah, they've been trying to get it done for the last, two years, really. Um, something Polanco has been interested in. Obviously, the Pirates want to lock up their young stars. They've done it with Andrew McCutcheon before, Starling Marte. They did it last year with Josh Harrison. And before all that, they did it with uh, less good results with uh, Jose Tabata, the outfielder who's now at the Dodgers. But, you know, it's a good move. It provides cost certainty for the team that, you know, even if Polanco really does break out this year, as so many of us have predicted, that they have him for a set cost that five years, $35 million. And then if it turns out you know, that he is a star, you have him on a really affordable, team-friendly contract with uh, you know, the potential for seven years and $58 million once you count his, his team options there at the end of the deal. And then for Polanco, you know, it's, it's certainty. It's not having to worry about a contract every year. It's knowing you know, that they, they're not going to send you to AAA. They're not going to you know, do anything like that. They have committed to this player, and Polanco is committed to the team uh, in return. It's something that's worked out for them well, like I said, with McCutcheon and Marte, and I think it's probably going to work out well with Harrison. And, you know, the Pirates believe that Gregory Polanco is one of their building block players. It's, you know, one of the phrases Neil Huntington used to describe him uh, when they announced the deal on Tuesday. And it's 
you know, if they can get that kind of player once again locked up to this kind of deal, that's how small market teams or lower payroll teams kind of have to operate. So uh, I think it's a, a move that makes sense for both sides. I think they both probably would have liked to have gotten it done, you know, a year or two ago, but uh, they finally came to, to an agreement that they could both be happy with. So Polanco is locked up for the foreseeable future, and another guy that if he continues on this trajectory of his that started at spring training and extended through opening day, or not opening day, but his, uh, his first start of the year, uh, could be Juan Nicasio. Maybe that's a guy that gets himself a big contract somewhere down the road. That's another discussion, but <laughs> Nicasio... You know, what a story he's been. We've talked about it in the in previous weeks about the breakout spring that he had and then the real first test against, uh, you know, the reigning division champions, his first regular season star, and lo and behold, you know, the guy doesn't miss a beat. Six innings, two hits, one run, seven Ks for Nicasio. And, Adam, even after this remarkable spring that he did have, was there still a sense going into that first start that he had to validate those numbers and validate that performance by doing exactly what he did in that start. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going to continue to be a question um, as the season goes on. Basically, until he does falter, I think people are going to start are going to ask, you know, when is this going to when is this going to end? When is this going to kind of fade? Um, because it's just so far off the career that he's had. You know, he's he's still kind of the same guy: good fastball, good slider, occasionally throws a changeup, but it's not really a strong pitch. So he's basically a two-pitch guy, um, and that's the kind of guy that typically works better out of the bullpen than in the rotation. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some skepticism going forward, but I think he saw what he's capable of in that first start against the Cardinals. And that's, you know, it's like you said, we've, we've talked about it, that reliever mentality. If you do approach each batter, you know, like you're going, you know, like this is the game on the line, then, you know, maybe that stuff plays up a little bit. And the raw stuff itself, let's not to discount that. It's, you know, the fastball touched 98. I think the slider clocked in on game day at 90 miles an hour. Like That's rare, elite stuff. So if he can continue to control it, continue to, you know, turn the lineup over a couple of times, then I think that's, that's all the Pirates could possibly ask for out of him. And you talk about a long-term contract. This is a guy that they got for one year, $3 million, going up against in his debut, Mike Leake, who signed for five years and $80 million. And the Pirates have Nicasio uh, arbitration eligible next year, too. So, great deal for them, you know, however it works out, especially if he keeps up this kind of performance. Yeah, advantage Pirates in the financial department there between <laughs> himself and Mike Leake, no question there. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if Juan Nicasio is a big talker. I don't know how many discussions you had with him during spring training, but, uh, but if you did have the chance to talk to him on an extensive basis, uh, how much, if at all, did he mention Ray Searage and the work that he's done with him in getting him to this point where he's been such a breakout star for the Pirates uh, here in the early stages of the season? Yeah, we actually talked to him a lot about Ray Searage after that crazy spring game he had where he struck out 10 of the 14 Orioles he faced in four innings. And, you know, he said the same thing that a lot of guys have said about Ray, is that it's not so much about the technical and mechanical changes as it is about the attitude and the confidence that he instills in guys. You know, uh, Ray's bullpens are some of the most vocal things you'll hear in baseball he sits there behind the catcher and he cheers them on you know every single pitch that he likes he'll give him an attaboy or a there you go or that's what i like to see and i think that that works for guys you know they want to they want to hear the positive you know they know they're their harshest critics for the most part so if they have a guy who's gonna you know accentuate the positive and stuff like that i, I think that plays well uh, for for even a you know a major league pitcher guys you know you would think that they're doing it professionally. They don't need that kind of encouragement or whatever. But, you know, they're out there playing the game. They need to hear when they're doing well. And Ray 
Ray emphasizes that. And, you know, with a guy like Nicasio especially, somebody who does have a lot of positives that you can focus on, I think it's going to play up rather than focusing on the, you know, the control issues or the trouble turning the lineup over a third time. If you focus on what he does well and get him to, you know, zero in on that and uh, exploit that to the best of his ability, it's probably going to work out well. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, accentuate the positive and downplay the negative. It sounds it, right. it's simple, uh, you know, and why more people and more coaches don't do it, I don't know, but Ray Searidge does, and uh, we see the results with uh, these reclamation projects, if you will, Juan Nicasio being the latest of those. So a great start for him and a great start for uh, Francisco Liriano. Can't overlook him and what he did on a opening day, a 10K performance to get the Pirates off and running. And, you know, obviously – Liriano's been very, very good in his tenure with the Pirates. He's not the pitcher he was during his his heyday with the Twins when he paired up with uh, Johan Santana to form that dynamic one-two duo. But, again, he's still been very, very good. And I think that, uh, you know, he's even a little bit unheralded at this stage of his career. He is the de facto ace of the staff until Garrett Cole comes back and returns to full health. And to have right. a guy with that pedigree at the top of your rotation, at least temporarily, is huge for this team. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, when Garrett Cole wasn't able to start opening day, there wasn't a whole lot of trepidation about whether, you know, what, where the rotation went from there. You know, they had Francisco Liriano ready to go. This is the guy who started opening day now each of the last three years. He's got the strikeout stuff, which you saw right away on opening day. Command is sometimes an issue, which you also saw on opening day with five walks, but you know, this is a guy who, who works hard off the field. He takes everything seriously. He's he's a leader in that clubhouse in kind of a quiet, understated way. And I think he is unheralded, like you said, throughout baseball. You know, a guy who's turned into a really consistent pitcher. I think if he was, you know, throwing 200 innings or had a higher win total or something like that, people might uh, recognize a little more what he's done. But, uh, no, I think they feel very good with that one-two top of the rotation with Garrett Cole and Francisco Liriano. Lariano, uh, a great opening day performance and uh, a lot to look forward to when Garrett Cole returns to the fold. Uh, Adam, as we come down the home stretch here, when you look at the first three games and uh, just the week in general for the Pirates, as again, we're speaking here on a Friday evening, what was, uh, in your eyes, the most unexpected or eye-opening development that you saw uh, so far this week? I was really intrigued by Quint Hurdle's bullpen management, actually. Tony Watson, I think we probably talked about on this podcast, is, is an eighth-inning reliever. He's probably one of the best eighth-inning relievers in baseball. And then the first three games of the season, he was pitching in the seventh inning um, because Quint Hurdle is focusing more on things like leverage and, you know, matchups in the bullpen, not just strict seventh, eighth, ninth rolls. You're not going to see Mark Melanson pitch anywhere but in a save opportunity. So there are some limits, but I think with Tony Watson, he's, you know, he's willing to deploy his best reliever wherever it, you know, wherever the situation calls for it. And that was in the seventh inning in those first three games. I think that's interesting because uh, like he's doing with the lineup and like the team is doing with the lineup, batting McCutcheon second, Jato first, even if it's a little, you know, uh, against the traditional establishment type thing, it shows that they're willing to do whatever they can, taking all the data and information they have to get the most out of this team. And that's, again, going back to the, the thing with Polanco, that's, another way that a small market lower payroll team has to operate you have to find advantages where you can get them and in this case it's not so much the players you have but how you're using them so i think the fact that hurdle was willing to divert from that eight inning role with watson and the fact that watson was willing to accept it uh, is pretty interesting to me yeah that's a that's a very interesting dynamic between manager and player and uh you put it perfectly you know for a team that's not flush in these 
you know, lavish ex- expenses and financial resources that other teams have. The Pirates do have to find different ways to succeed. They've done that for the last couple years, and so far in 2016, off to a terrific start, 3-0, and uh, entering Friday night. And, uh, Adam, uh, just to wrap things up here, interesting proposal I caught wind of the other day, which is suggesting that because of this lovely spring weather we've had in the Northeast and the Midwest to kick off the 2016 season, there's a proposal that, you know, teams that play in outdoor stadiums in cold weather cities, such as the Pirates do, should be required to open the season either in warm weather cities or in domes. And, of course, we saw, you know, the parkas and the mittens and the scarves and the blankets all throughout PNC Park uh, during this opening series. Uh, would you be a fan of this proposal to, to get teams to play in more baseball-friendly weather, at least until Mother Nature, you know, gets over her mood and starts giving us a nice <laughs> spring weather here as April wears on? Yeah, I'm a warm weather guy by nature, so I'm all for uh, playing down south or playing in a dome. But uh, you know, I'm say- I'm saying that staring out at rainy, cold Great American Ballpark in <laughs> Cincinnati right now. So maybe I'm a little bit biased by current <laughs> events. Uh, that said, though, fans showed up in Pittsburgh on opening day, and it turned out you know it was cold, but it actually the weather played along more than it seemed like it did in most northern cities. It was uh, sunny, you know, a clear day. Uh, obviously, that gorgeous view out of the press box is still there. Uh, so everybody was pretty happy, even despite the uh, the cold itself. But yeah, I mean, when you're looking around and you're seeing snow outs and freezing rain coming down, I, I think you could certainly get on board with something a little warmer or at the very least inside. Yeah, I agree. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, you look around baseball this opening week, you had two dome teams playing each other in the Rays and the Blue Jays. That made no sense. Right. Two Southern California teams playing each other the Dodgers and the Padres, that made no sense. So it just seems like, you know, if if you're going to have this weather every April, and it seems like you are, just space things out a little bit better. Don't have the California teams play each other. And I, I think the Pirates would, they'd be open to that, don't you? Yeah, I think so, especially if it's uh, going to be here in Cincinnati again. Like, it is not opening series, obviously, but the first weekend of the season. I think there was a note, actually, in the Pirates uh, pregame, a package today about last year this time they had a game delayed for hours and hours and hours because of the cold and rain and you know they started the game at like nine o'clock and it went well into the night and 11 innings and you know that's that's tough at any time of the year in any environment it's really tough when it's cold and raining so yeah let's let's get it inside let's get in the warm weather and there'll be plenty of baseball to be made up in the summer up north yeah, couldn't agree more. I know the, the elements are part of baseball and what makes baseball great, but uh, there's a limit. There's boundaries to what you can play in and play through, and what we've had this week is just not baseball weather. So hopefully maybe that's on the docket for 2017 to, to rectify, but uh, we'll certainly see. Adam Barry, thanks so much for the time on this Friday evening. Uh, we'll see if the Pirates can make it 4-0 as they take on the Reds at Great American Ballpark. Matt Waymeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Pittsburgh Pirates. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest 
cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 Major League Baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 